Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. Your spouse, make sure you smile. Right? Like, I love you, right? You know, but let's, let's say, you know, but what he's talking about in this passage, it's beyond those who we like or who we choose to love. It's loving those who we might not like, much less love them. But when he talks about loving your neighbor as yourself, that, that is anybody that you come in contact with. That means putting on the love of Jesus in everywhere you go. Even if you're working graveyards, even if you're working overtime, even if you're in a place where you don't like the people around you, we're still called to love. But only God can do that work. So let's break down this first commandment of loving God first, okay? So loving God, Jesus says in Matthew, and he makes it very clear that we should love God. So we should love him with all our heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So let's look at the heart first. How many of you know that the heart is this weird contraption that does so much more than just pumps blood through our being? When we talk about the heart, what it's talking about is those things we love, those things we hate, you know, that, that with all of our heart, that deep core passion, right? You know, so, so the heart, you know, it, it's, it's something that reflects that deep devotion and commitment to serving and maybe being obedient to his commands, okay? John 14, 15 in the NIV, it says, if you love me, if you love me, keep my commands, now, how many of you know that is not a very sophisticated or super deep sentence? But to fulfill that is very deep. My commands with an S, not just the ones I want, not just a command, but his commands, everything that he asks. Well, Pastor Noe, I don't know everything that he asks. <laughs> love God and love people, and you will fulfill all the commands of Scripture. Now, we need to learn really what loving God is, because if we don't know how to love God, we will never, be, we will never fully love people. Because it's that love and that compassion that God gives us that enables us to love others. How many of you have ever had somebody in your life that is hard to love? Hey, if you don't raise your hand, you are lying. And I'm going to make you come up to an altar call on purpose. Everybody, right, has had somebody that's been challenging to love. All right, I'm, I'm assuming that everybody raised their hand. I'm not going to call anybody out. And I got a finger pointer in the back. Okay. All right, so, you know, a heart towards God will desire what he desires. It, it will seek to please the Father, you know, doing what he asks us to do. That's what it comes down to. It says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. You will keep my commands. I know it says parents sometimes we're so quick to tell that on, uh, tell, you know, to correct our kids. Well, if you loved me, you'd do what I say. You know, that's, the, that's that same model, right? You know, we hope that if our kids are obedient to us, it's not because they have to or are forced to, but why? Because they want to because of that love relationship that they have for us. That's, that's the whole idea of what God's love towards us and our love being lavished back on God should look like. It's because we desire to please God. We do something that's inobedient with God's word and we almost look up to our father God in approval and say, Dad, look at me. I was obedient to what you... You know, my son, he gets so proud when he does things right. Probably because he messes stuff up too, right? But he finds those moments. You know, these last two times, I have not had to cut my grass. I'm in right there. So I got the whole story. I didn't realize. I told Becky, I was, I was still at the church working or whatever, and I got home. The grass was cut. I was like, yes. And I went home and I said, hey, did he, uh, 
did he cut grass? I said, he said yeah. I said, he used the zero turn? Yeah. I said, did you wash him? He goes, no. It's like, what do you mean no? It's like, second time cutting it, you know, right by the road, you know, which he didn't break anything or mess anything up, but yet there's this sense of pride when he pleases the Father's heart. And I think that's what God, that's, that's what we can do. We can say, Daddy, God, look what I did today. And I loved people. I loved you. And in all of these things, it brings glory to God. Now, on the flip side of that, we got to be real careful because let's say we break a command. All of a sudden, we're in this shame game, and we go into hiding, and we go into covering, and we don't, we don't want to reveal our mess-ups. You know, I remember growing up when uh, I was loading two-by-fours in the back of my dad's truck, and I threw one, I threw two. I was like, man, my dad's going to be so proud of me. And then, you know, Hulk strength, getting strong, right, throwing them in there. I threw a two-by-four too, too high, and it went, it went directly through the back shield window. So I, I can't hide it. Like, I mean, two by four shattered it. And I'm like, Lord, what do I do? So the first thing I go back, I say, Dad, I'm so sorry. I'll pay for it. I'll fix it. I'll, you know, I just plead like, I'm so sorry. I don't know what to do. And what does my dad say? Which he was having a good calm day that day. He just says, hey, well, let's go see what you did. And I'm just like, you know, what am I doing? My head's down, I'm walking and I'm just, you know, full of shame. Hey, whatever pride I had, the, the 12 two by fours I put in before that 13th one that crashed through the window, whatever pride I had was gone because I just messed it up. And he looked at it, he goes, nah, it's no big deal. Insurance will fix it. And then insurance ended up fixing it. We got a better window put in than we had. But we see Father God's heart in, in that, right? Even when we mess up, even when we fall short, even when we mess it up trying to do good, that Father God looks at us with pleasure and he just puts his loving arm around us. As long as our heart is still driven towards loving God, he'll just say, hey, well, son, daughter, let's walk over here and see what you messed up. And he'll smile about it. He'll laugh about it and he'll get it fixed. It's no big deal. But he doesn't want us to be crushed by our failures. He doesn't want us to, be, to, to fall into this trap of just uh, feeling guilty for what we've done. There's another thing that I've seen floating around Facebook. It's been really good. He says, I, I want to I raise children that when they mess up, they don't say, oh, no, I hope my parents don't find out, versus, oh, no, I'm in trouble. I need to call my dad. That's my heart, you know, and I think that's Father's God's heart. That he doesn't want to say, oh, no, I hope my dad doesn't find out. <laughs> hey, y'all ever been there? I've been there. <laughs> also on that foot, like, oh, is there any way I can hide this? Like, that's the first, you know, you think of deception. You think of the lies of the enemy of how we try to avoid God, as if God can't see what we've already done. Scripture says his eyes are everywhere. He sees everything. He knows what we're going to do even before we do it. So as slick as we are trying to hide from God, yet his eyes are everywhere. So can we really shift that, our perspective of saying, God, anytime I mess something up, I'm going to come boldly before your throne of grace. I'm going to say, Daddy, help me. I messed it up. I was trying to do good. because I was trying to do good loading those two by fours. I really was. I just tried a little too hard on that one. But Father God would just accept those things as I accept those things as failures. Because it could have deflated me, but how he responded, my, father, my earthly father set me up for success because I said, Lord... If you respond even with a fraction of that grace and that compassion and that forgiveness, 
Why would I not trust you when I mess things up? Sorry, that was a huge rabbit trail, but I won't charge you for that one. So loving God with all our heart, it's a heart towards God's desires. It's a heart towards what God wants to do in and through our lives. You know, it's saying, God, help me to love what you love, hate what you hate. You know, it says, you know, the heart really is the epicenter of life. So we need to see that. It says, out of the heart flows all the issues of life, right? So it's talking about spiritually guarding our heart, okay? So what about soul? So it says that we should honor God with our soul. So the soul part of us is the part that is being saved. So let me break this down for you a little bit because that word soul kind of throws people off sometimes. Psalm 72, 13 in the NIV, and I'm using the New King James just for a little bit of clarification, it says, He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the souls from death. The word souls is actually used in the New King James Version, right? But if I look at the NIV, it says, Save the needy from death. So really, you don't see the word souls at all in the NIV. Now, that doesn't mean I throw the NIV away and it's no good, it's not worth reading, or, you know, there's a lot of that. I don't care what version you're reading as long as you're reading something. But when we look at context, when we go back to the, the, something as close to the original as in the Greek and Hebrew, your New King James, your New American Standard, all of those things will stay as close to possible to those original translations. What well, uses the word souls? Psalm 72, uh, or I'm sorry, James 1.21 in the New Living Translation, it says, So get rid of all filth and evil in your lives, and humbly accept the Word of God that has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. Okay? All right. So, you know, your soul consists of your mind, your will, and your emotions. So that's why you can be saved and you can have a horrible day. If your emotions are out of whack, doesn't mean that I'm not saved. It just means my emotions are in the process of being saved. And so that in that process of being saved, that's where we need God to come in. But it's, it's, it's yielding our mind, our, our will, and emotions to Father God. It's saying, Lord, take what I think. And, and I call it in the obedience of you. You know, uh, you know, those things that I'm willed towards, those things that I desire, those things that I'm passionate about, my will, that they would be submitted to you. Okay? So our mind, our will, and emotions, that's what kind of, cons- you know, that we submit all of those parts of our soul to God. Um, so, our, you know, those are the parts that really need changing. So we have to understand that when we are saved... Our spirit within us completely transforms, and it is now in the image. It reflects the things God loves. It, you know, our, our spirit is immediately the same spirit of God. Yeah, it's passion, and that, but I think that's why we have that struggle, right? We have our spirit who is transformed at that moment of salvation. That's where it says he takes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. It, there is a transformation. There is a replacement of a brand new spirit inside of us, but the soul of us that mind, that will, and emotions has to keep being polished and changed by the power of God's Word. It's in that process of continuing to become Christ-like, has the ability to save your souls. And then we live in a body which, you know, tends to go like this and then goes like this. It's, your body is not intended to house you forever. It is just the vessel we live in, you know. It's, it's the face, it's the flesh that we live in. You know, the bodies that we live in today... We're not intended to live forever, right? We have to understand that, so um, that, are, that are slowly fading away, all right? All right, so it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24 in the NIV, it says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. 
May your whole, look at here, spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who called you is faithful, and he will do it. Three separate things, right? So we see where we get that from. You're like, man, did you just come up with that? No, I use this scripture to communicate that. Separates the two. You know, your whole spirit, your whole soul, and your whole body. So what is the spirit? It's the part that's transformed to be just like God. The soul is the mind, the will, the emotions. The body is just the vessel. I just live in a body, and it'll fade away, and then I'll go to heaven. Got that? Kind of a quick little, just wrap your mind around it type thing. Don't want to focus on that too long. So it talks about, you know, with all your heart, with all your soul, which we kind of talked about that. What about your mind? It says in Philippians 4, 7 through 9, uh, it, it, it says that, and the peace of God, which transcends all your understanding, will guard or shield your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It says in verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. So set your minds on. So whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. That means to do it. And the God of peace will be with you. Okay? So if we look at that, you know, how do we guard our mind? How do we, how do we cause our mind in a way that loves God? Loving the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our soul, and with all our minds. What you think about. Now, what dictates what we think about? Sometimes what we see and what we hear. But we have to really say, okay, we have to train those thoughts. You've ever seen the blinders that they put on the horses on the Clydesdales when they're walking down? They don't want them to get distracted and throw a person in a ditch. So they put blinders on so they will keep on course. They will look ahead and won't be distracted by what's to the left and what's to the right. We can be guarding our minds and still have these, what I call these wandering thoughts. You ever done that, been in the middle of worship? You're worshiping, you're praying, and then all of a sudden you think about a bill or you think about something that you got to do, and you're like, what am I doing? My hands are still up. I had this thought come through my mind, and you almost got to pause. Oh, Lord, I cast that out, and I choose to what now? Refocus on you. If you haven't had it happen, hey, you're lying again. Don't lie in church. <laughs> or, you're, or right now, your stomach's growling, and you're thinking about lunch. Think about what you got to do or whatever. You know, forcing your mind to focus on saying, hey, Pastor, no, he's talking about the word. Let me focus on this. Right? Maybe you need a cup of coffee. Maybe you need to stand up. I mean, like, it's causing our mind to focus on those things, right? So we have to care so much about what, what, we, what we see, what we hear. We have to guard our mind. So let, let's, th let's think about, you know, it says in that passage, it says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. So let's think about this. You know, in Ephesians 6, 17, you guys have heard about the helmet of salvation, right? So think about this concept of, of playing football without a helmet. Now look right here. He's okay right now. Now there's the potential if he decides to keep progressing forward to all of a sudden what? Have a pretty bad day. I don't know if you've ever played football, if you're not, but you think about a helmet. What does a helmet do? Protects the good old noggin, right? Keeps us from causing harm. So if we go into battle or if we do something and we are not guarding our minds, our heads, it can be a bad day, right? 
You know, so we, we think about it. It says, but the peace of God, that is something that God gives us, has the ability to shield our hearts and our minds. So what we have to do in order to keep that helmet intact is say, God, I pray for the peace of your presence to guard my heart and guard my mind. That is a defense mechanism. That's like keeping the helmet on, keeping the chin strap intact. If you've ever played football, the only time your helmet comes off like that is when your chin strap isn't in place. I mean, I promise, unless there was a malfunction, something happened. If you got that chin strap in place and it is cinched tight, that helmet ain't coming off your head. So he may look cool and be like, hey, look at me. But he wasn't ready for battle. That's the only time anybody have any other thoughts. I mean, I think that's the only way I've never seen one come off. Good doctrine. And like, I don't know. Right. I've never seen it happen. If that chin straps tight, if you if you're ready for battle, if you're ready for that impact, it's not going to come off. That's what we have to allow the peace of God to overwhelm our life, to just protect and guard our hearts and minds. Okay, let's keep rolling on. So let's spend a little bit of time looking at the new commandment of loving people. So that's loving people. That's loving your neighbor. So this is this is where it gets a little challenging. And I say challenging because how many of you find it easy to love God? But hard to love people. Because what's the first thing that starts happening? We say, well, God is perfect. God loves me. God takes care of me. God's my homie, right? He'll take care of me. But this person over here hurt me. People can't be trusted. I've had wounds in the past of people affecting my life. I don't trust people. You ever been there? Some of you maybe today say, I don't trust people. I have a hard time trusting people. Maybe you don't trust your parents. You don't trust, you know, maybe you did not have a, a, a good model of a father that loved you like Father God loves you. And so you've grown up saying, you know what, ah, I, don't, I don't trust people. You know, whatever it is that has built that, but it is hard to love people because we're flawed. We're going to mess it up. It's sometimes easy to love God because he's perfect, he's right, he's never going to harm us, never going to hurt us. But then we got people over here who are a byproduct of the curse, byproduct of sin, and are trying to be Christ-like, but sometimes aren't. Now, the moment we get mad and we want to point the finger of saying, well, that person one time did this or that or whatever, turn that finger around and point it right back at yourself because we're all guilty of that at some point in our life. Saying something we shouldn't have said, getting offended about something we shouldn't have got offended at. You know, I call it a disconnect the mind moment where you just get mad and you're just... Man, how many of you have ever said hurtful words that you wish you never would have said and you wish you could have got back in anger and frustration? Now, if not, man, keep doing it. Like, keep guarding that mouth, right? Because that thing, it says, with that same mouth, you praise me, but you also curse. I'm not just talking about curse words. Some of you are like, ooh, was he talking to me? Well, if you felt convicted, maybe. Guard Guard the words that come out of your mouth. But it's difficult to love people sometimes. But the only way we can love people with the standard and the expectation that God expects us to love others with is if we truly know the love of Christ. And that's a work of God in our lives. In that John 13, 35, it says, Jesus said that you will be known as my disciples by your love for one another. So ask yourself this question. Do I really love those who are not really that lovable? Think about that. Let let that sink in just for a minute. Do I really have to love those who are not that lovable. Because some of us will make the exception, say, oh, well, God was only talking about the church. He's only talking about the people at church or my friends or my family. Because it's important to know the word neighbor in there. Because if we say neighbor is just another follower of Christ, then I may limit the big picture of what God was really saying, right? So, so it's, it's hard sometimes to love those who are unlovable, 
Like I said, I know that all of us probably have had an opportunity. Maybe it's an in-law. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe, you know, sometimes maybe it's a spouse. I'm not saying that it's always great, right? Sometimes it's challenging to love those who sometimes, what, wounded us the most, who we opened ourselves up to, and then there wasn't a wound. There was a wound or there was an offense. Let's look at this passage. So I'm going to cover two lengthy passages, but I'm just going to let the Word give us guidance. Because I could sit here and break it down and pretend like, oh, look, look at all these cool things. But the scripture does a way better job than I do. So the first passage we're going to look at is going to be in Luke 6, 27 through 36 in the NIV. So he was talking to a large group of his disciples, and there was a lot of people standing around as he was talking to the crowd. So it'd be the equivalent, I think, of the church. You know, because I think if we look around, I mean, I think if we were brutally honest, I believe that even in the church, there's people that have different commitment levels. Maybe you have those who are sold out. You have those that are kind of like, hey, I'm only sold out when it's convenient. And then you're like, hey, I'm only going to look good on Sundays. I pray that that's not you. But if that's you, allow God to just change that in your heart or we're not just faking it. But I believe that, you know, this, he was talking to, to a lot of groups, groups of people. He says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Now, right there, I would have stopped. If I'm not sold out, I would have left. I'm like, hold on. Those who mistreat me, those who are hard to love, bless those who curse you? <laughs> not today, Jesus. Like, I just think about all of those, you know, just the first time you hear this. Now, I've heard this, and I've read this, and I've meditated on this, and it's still hard. But I think the first time hearing it coming out of Jesus' mouth, how do we respond to that? Let me keep going because he doesn't lighten up. In verse 29, he says, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the also. Turn to him the other side also. Man, if somebody slaps you on the cheek, you're ready for war. Oh, you slap me, I'll show you. Put some hands on you in the name of Jesus, right? You know, you think of our response. It's not just like, but that reflects loving people or just, oh, you hit me, huh? My turn, right? You know, whatever it is. We just think about that. It says, it says, if someone takes your coat, which would be bad when it's cold, it says, do not withhold your shirt from them also. Jesus, you are getting way too personal in all of this. Isn't this too much? Isn't this too hard? It says, do as to others as I would have them do to you. It says, oh, verse 30, I'm sorry. It says, give to everyone who asks of you. And if, if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. If they rob from me or steal from me, don't, don't take it back. Oh, Private property. I live in the state of Texas. Lock and loaded. You come in my house and take something that's mine. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'll keep moving. I'm getting a little too real here for all these Texans, right? So here's what it says. Verse 32, it says, if you love those who love you, what, is, what credit is it to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you, do, if you do give to those who are good to you, what credit is to you? Even sinners do that. It says, and if you lend to those who you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting a repayment in full. Verse 35, it says, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then, then your reward will be great. And it says, and you, you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. So he says, be merciful just as your father is merciful. He's saying, put on my nature, do what I do. It's hard to do, right? But if we're really being transformed by the power of God, we will be responding like Christ would respond. 
Is it easy? Man, absolutely not. Some of you this morning may be saying, Pastor Noah, how can I love them if I don't even like them? Real deal, right? It's hard. It's difficult. God has to do the work in us. So when we look at this passage, it says, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And then he compares all of us to the sinners, right? So well, even the sinners do it if they're going to get paid back. It's hard scripture. I'm, I'm not going to keep hashing on that. Write that down. Make a note. Read through it this week and, and say, God, if there's something in me that doesn't respond in this way, help me, Lord. Because, I, I, you know, you go into my house, start taking stuff. That's to me when I'm like, okay. But I'm, what am I going to say? Well, my family, I could be in danger. Now, I'm not saying open the door and say, hey, come take whatever you want. You know, because I think that there's that, that balance in there, right? And we'll look at a scripture that kind of highlights a little bit more than just a minute. But what does it say? In verse 31, it says, do as to others as you'd have them do to you. And in verse 36, it says, release mercy just like your Father in heaven is merciful. It's putting on the nature of, of Christ. It's putting on the nature of God. But if I have not yet received that from Father God, there's, it's almost impossible to give it. So the only way to love as God demands is to truly know the love that Father God has for us and release that towards others. So let's look at this definition of what love is in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 in the NIV. It says, verse 4, it says, love is patient and love is kind. It, is not in, it does not envy, which is jealousy or jealous. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. So this is the kind of love needed that, that, that it, if, we, if we're going to live in this kind of love, it is only the work of the grace of God in our life to fulfill it. Because there's a lot of times, man, I'm short-tempered and I'm not patient and I'm not kind. And then when I'm not kind, it, it just snowballs. How many of you know that once you begin to lose the grace of love towards others, you lose it bad sometimes? Just one thing of, of patience and uh, unkind, uh, the short temper. Oh, man, like you either keep them all intact or it seems like you lose a lot of them all at the same time. Amen? Or is that just me? Right? Okay. So God has to be, when God begins to mold our lives, we begin to reflect him and we begin to love the things that he loves and hates the things that he hates. You know, he, he desires actually to completely change us. It says that the old man dies, Ephesians 4.22, if you're looking for a, a reference on that. So, you know, there has to be a, a desire, our desires have to shift and have to change. Let's look at this other passage and then I'm closing. Ephesians 4.17 through 32. Like that many pa scriptures, Pastor? Absolutely. So note this down, Ephesians 4, 17 through 32, because I just think that this just keeps on cruising with the heartbeat of what I'm talking about, of loving God and loving people. Starting in verse 17, Ephesians 4, it says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. So what he was talking about was the sinners, those who are not the chosen ones, not the church. Okay, is what he's saying there. In the fertility of their thinking, it says, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their heart. Okay? Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to the uh, sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. So just that passage, he's just saying, hey, don't be like the world. You know, don't love the things of the world. Verse 20, it says, That, however, is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught 
in Him according to the truth of Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, and you put off the old self and that was being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitudes of your mind, so the way that you think, and put on your new self, you know, the new creation, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So what he's saying, don't be like the sinner, but what you've also received in Christ. When I told you what, what it was to follow Christ was this transformation, this process, this changing of your mind, this, this image of be, being created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25, it says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbors. For we are all members of one body. Verse 26, it says, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. I like that because that helps me with that first passage. If they were robbing from me in the past, now God's saying, Hey, don't rob anymore. Especially among the people of God. Especially to those, but that, you know, so he's not just saying, hey, it's okay, it's acceptable, right? But he's, he's beginning to change this process. You know, it says, um, you know, don't steal any longer, but you must work doing something useful with your hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So anybody that says, why should I get a job? Just quote that scripture to them. Ephesians 4.28. All right. Verse 29, it says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up others in accordance with their needs, that it may be beneficial to those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, uh, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, uh, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ has forgiven you. So if we look at this passage, man, it is just chocked full of. So why am I giving you all these scriptures? If we say, Lord, how in the world? I know how to love God. I mean, like I said, I feel like that that's easier, learning to love God. But I gave you tons of context of what does it really look like to love people? Because that's where we need the most help. How do I love? Because you might do one of these things like, oh, that goes completely against what I just heard this last week. Oh, that wasn't being patient. That wasn't being kind. That was expecting something back when they asked of me and I should have just given it freely. Like Whatever it is, I believe that God is really going to cause that conviction and he's going to cause that holiness and righteousness to his standard. But I believe, guys, that if we go forward from this place and we say, God, help me to love you and help me to love people and show me what it's all about that he will. And then he's going to give us an opportunity to walk it out. Amen? You guys stand up with me this morning. One of the biggest things in our life that can cause us to not receive everything that Father God wants to give us is the hardness of our hearts. We have to allow our hearts to be sensitive to the things of God. But how many of you know you cannot do that work? Let's go back to the very, very beginning. If salvation was something that could be earned, then we could all earn it by what we do. But what does it say? Salvation is a free gift. It's nothing that can be earned, and usually it's not even deserved. You know, perhaps maybe you've been a good person in the past, and therefore you thought by your actions and by the way you acted, you were deserving of salvation. But it says that we were all sinners, deserving of hell. 
It was only a free gift of God that no man could boast in what they have received. So if we've received God as a free gift, how do we really love people? We give that same gift that we've received to people. How do we love people? We work on our loving Father, loving Father God more and more. Sometimes we just need that supernatural grace. I think of all the passages in Scripture where it says that, you know, Jesus was grieved or he was hurt or he was saddened. It says he was filled with compassion, and that's what drove his ministry. Being a pastor, maybe it's just, it's, I think about it this way because it's like, what if, like, I worked Monday, I worked Tuesday, I worked Wednesday and Thursday, and my off day is Friday. What if somebody calls me on Friday? Will I be filled with compassion and say, hey, I'll be right over. What can I do? Will I be a pastor on Friday, which is my day off, right? You're like, pastors take a day off? I try to. But let's say, you know, will, will I be like Christ and say, Lord, I will always be filled with compassion. Now, I got, I got to know what is God's handiwork and what the devil's handiwork is also, because I know that if I continually forsake my day off, y'all going to have a cranky pastor who's not rested, who's not taking family time, and it could have all kinds of dire consequences, right? What I'm talking about is my heart. When I get to the end of giving, if you've ever pastored or you've ever been in ministry or you've ever ministered or anything like that, it is just a pouring out of yourself. Well, there comes a moment where you go to pour... And there's nothing that comes out because you are dry. And there's nothing else you have left to contribute. And what does Father God say? Come drink from a well that will never run dry. That will just begin to flow through us. And it just not only flows through us to others, but as it flows through us, it nourishes us. But guess what? It also nourishes and helps others. But I got to be tapped into that well. We've got to allow God to do His part as we do our part. So today, if you're willing and wanting to commit to doing all that God has and has asked you to do in His Word, I ask you to commit to loving God and loving people. And ask Father God today, say, Lord, show me what that looks like. Some of us need help in different areas. I mean, we might have it all together in a few areas, but there are a few areas we need a radical transformation in our lives. Right? It's real like, you know, like if we really say, all right, what are you struggling with? Oh, I don't want to talk about that, but that's what you need the grace of God for in your life. Not the good stuff. We already got God's grace working in that. We've seen, you know, if there's anything good in us, if there's anything that is, that is, that is flowing that looks good, it's because of God's work in our lives, guys. Don't get arrogant or cocky and be like, hey, well, I do this pretty good. Man, it's only by the grace of God that you're even doing that. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. And if there is any goodness in me, may it be to the glory of God. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for each one here this morning. Father God, I ask that we would be a church that loves God and loves people. Lord, that you would show us Lord, where we need supernatural grace, where we need more of you. Father, if there are things that we're doing good, Lord, help us not to get puffed up or prideful, Lord. But I pray that we would just, with hearts of gratitude, thank you for the work that's being done in our lives. 
Father, I thank you for the hope that we have in you. Lord, your scripture says that he that begin a good work in us will also bring it unto completion. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that as we are all under construction, Lord, that we would just continue to work in our lives, even when it looks messy and it hasn't yet all come together. Father, as we go from this place, give us your love, give us your passion, give us your desires. Lord, that we would go from this place and, Lord, that we would really practice loving people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.